Welcome to Prepare, the Mercy Perinatal podcast dedicated to helping parents prepare for the journey of pregnancy, childbirth, and early parenthood. Mercy Perinatal would like to begin by acknowledging the Wurundjeri Woi Wurrung people, traditional custodians of the land on which we meet today, and also the traditional custodians of the lands on which you're listening from today. And we'd like to pay our respects to their elders past, present, and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples listening today. Hi, Ali. Hi, Rangi. And welcome back to Prepare. We're going to be talking about a really important topic today. So we're going to be talking about antenatal care, mm. covering what is antenatal care, yep. key components of antenatal care, like what will happen in your appointments, as mm. well as why we do it. What are the benefits? Why yeah. do women, why do we keep dragging women <laughs> to the hospital all the time? We do it for a reason. Why do we ask to waste your time? Coming? Yes, coming in yes. to see us. There yeah. is a very valid reason. It's to keep you and your baby safe. Yes. But do- how? Yes, how do yeah. we do it? So I guess, what is antenatal care, Rangi? Yeah, so antenatal care is basically the care that you receive from any healthcare professional who is trained in providing that in your pregnancy from the time that you're pregnant until you have your baby, until birth. So really it's pregnancy care. Yes. Yeah. And it covers everything from keeping mum safe. Yes. Keeping baby safe. Yes. Education of what you should avoid during pregnancy, mm. as well as preparing you for labour and birth, which are really significant times in your life. Mm. And then also talking about postnatally, like yep. you've just gone home with a baby. What preparing do I do for what do I parenthood. do with this thing? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so I think, yeah, that's that's correct. There's sort of some main pillars of antenatal care and one of those big ones is education, but another one is prevention. Yes. And trying to really prevent any problems from occurring with either you or the baby in the pregnancy. And then the third one I think is detection in yes. case there's anything that does occur, we're on top of it and addressing it early so that we can get the best outcome for you and your baby. Yeah. Yeah. Now, frequency of appointments, we're actually going to kind of cover that a little bit in our next episode, which is models of care. Yes. Because it can vary quite a lot depending on what model of care. It can vary about who you have it with. Mm. But just in summary, you can obviously have antenatal care in the private system, which is yep. where you would have majority of those visits with an obstetrician. But then if you do it in the public system, you can either have midwifery-led antenatal care or if you are deemed a little bit higher risk for some reason than you would have it with the doctor, but obviously in combination with the midwife as well. Mm. Now, in the private system, how often are those appointments? So you probably will see someone quite early in the private system, essentially as early as you would like to book with them. And then you might see them every few weeks for the first trimester. Yep. And usually after that, you would see them roughly the same amount as you would in the public system except for maybe a few extra visits if there's anything extra that needs to happen. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then antenatal visits tend to start a little bit later in the public system. Yes. So we like to see you around to start off around 14 weeks, mm-hmm. but then sometimes that can actually extend out to seeing somebody in person. We'll try to avoid it, but it can get out to around 18, 20 weeks, but mm-hmm. you would usually have a phone call before. At least a phone call. Yes. And this is important to note because – Telehealth in antenatal care became a much bigger thing during the time of COVID out of necessity because we were in lockdown, people were unwell with COVID 
And there are certain advantages and disadvantages to that. Advantages being, you know, we can fit in a phone call much easier than we can a face-to-face. It might be more convenient for you, particularly if you've got other kids or you live far away, you've got work commitments. Um, Disadvantages being we don't want every visit to be a phone appointment because as we'll go on to talk about later, there's lots of important things that we need to check physically when we see you and examine you to make sure that everything's going okay. So some of those telehealth visits have continued, particularly for maybe that first visit in the public system and maybe for other visits later on, but not every visit as perhaps during COVID it was, it was a bit more than it is now. So during the time of COVID there was a large transition I guess to telehealth because obviously people couldn't come into the hospital but there is a large body of research that's currently being undertaken around safety for maternal and neonatal outcomes of those who've had telehealth during their pregnancy Mm. and And patient satisfaction yes and patient satisfaction and a lot of it has shown that if you have telehealth as not always, but in those early stages of pregnancy and scattered throughout the later stages, that the outcomes are actually very good. Yeah, it can actually be quite good. So I think that that's reassuring because often women can get a little bit worried that I haven't seen somebody in person. Mm. So I guess this research that's coming out is reiterating that it's actually okay, not all the time, Mm. but at times it's it's quite good and is great for patient satisfaction. You don't have to come into the hospital. Yeah. There are certain key visits that we do want to see you at though and certain investigations that we routinely get for or recommend for everyone in their pregnancy. So the first thing that you would get is an ultrasound that is a dating scan and that gives us the estimated due date. And then the next scan is also an ultrasound, your early anatomy scan. And then you would also get some blood tests with your GP, looking at some standard investigations to make sure everything's okay in your pregnancy. And when you see us in the hospital, we would have most of those investigations as well as any of the screening tests that you may have chosen to get. You don't have to get them, but we've got a whole other episode on screening for chromosomal abnormalities in pregnancy. And the next investigation's we would usually organise our ultrasound at 20 to 21 weeks to check the what we call the morphology of the baby. And we also check where the placenta is, make sure it's developing not too close to the cervix. We check the umbilical cord and we also check the length of the cervix and make sure it's nice and long and closed, which is what it's meant to be at that point. Yes. And then as you get later in your pregnancy, you obviously have appointments more regularly. Mm. And then there are some other appointments that we like to have you in for if you are a negative blood group, so for yes. anti-D. Mm-hmm. So that would be at 28 weeks and then between 34 and 36 Yeah, for those needles, I guess, injections. And then we also like to time them as well with any immunisations that you have to have during pregnancy, such as your influenza vaccination as well as whooping cough. Mm. Yeah. And we are recommending COVID vaccination during pregnancy as well. Yeah, exactly. And obviously that's everyone's choice and people will have different levels of comfort about vaccination in pregnancy. And you can definitely talk to your antenatal care provider about that. It's almost a whole nother topic in itself. It is a whole nother topic. (laughs) But you can talk to your healthcare provider about it, but it is something we would recommend for 
the benefit of both you and your baby. Some extra things we also recommend in pregnancy is something to check for the risk of diabetes in pregnancy. Yes. And that what we usually recommend is something called a glucose tolerance test. And we'll go into this in more detail when we do talk about gestational diabetes at a later time. But that's usually a test we get between 26 and 28 weeks for most people, unless we are worried about them having an increased risk of it, in which case we might get it a little bit earlier. And that's a test where you have to fast, come in and get a blood test, then have a fizzy sugary drink to drink, which is not the most pleasant thing, particularly on an empty stomach, particularly when you're pregnant. Then have another blood test an hour later and then again two hours later to see how your body metabolises that sugar to see if there's any risk of diabetes in pregnancy. Again, not something you have to do, but something we'd highly recommend. It's the most accurate test we have of whether or not you've got gestational diabetes. And and that's important so that we can manage that for you. Yeah. So the other test that happens is around 36 weeks, which is a swab measuring GBS or your burden of GBS. Yeah. And GBS stands for group B strep. Rangi, do you want to explain a little bit about what GBS actually is and and why we do it? Yeah, so we have heaps of bacteria in our vagina, basically, and it's normal. And one of those bacteria that can possibly be there is group B strep. In our vagina, it can come and go, and it's probably there in about one in five of us normally. The reason why we care so much about it in pregnancy and in birth is because if it's there when you either break your waters or you're in labour, it can pass through to baby, as does all the other bacteria in your vagina. But that particular bacteria, the GBS, can cause quite significant infection in the baby. So we care particularly about that so that we can try and prevent that infection and give you antibiotics if you break your waters or if you're in labour, if we know you have GBS in your vagina. Now, the reason why we test it at 36 weeks is because, as I said before, it comes and goes. But we know that if it's there, it's probably going to be there for about a month. So about 36 weeks, you're probably going to have your baby within a month of that time. If it's positive, it's probably going to be positive when you have your baby. If it's negative, it's probably going to be negative when you have your baby. So with the GBS swab, it is recommended to have during pregnancy, but obviously that is a personal choice. You don't have to have a GBS swab. And some hospitals don't do it as part of their um, standard care. Mm -hmm. So if you're at that hospital and you want to know more about it, you can ask about it. But similarly, if you're not comfortable with it, you can talk to your healthcare provider. Yep. So I suppose we've run through some of the main investigations and tests that we recommend or offer in antenatal care. But some of you might be asking why and, and also what we do when we see you. So usually when we see you in an antenatal visit, we'll obviously ask how you are (laughs) because we care most about that. How are you feeling? And one of the most important questions we ask, particularly after 28 weeks, is how are your baby's movements? Are they regular? Are you happy with them? And is it in the normal pattern that you would expect for your baby? We'll do a whole other episode on fetal movements because this is a big topic and I think a huge cause of concern for people. But We care a lot about whether your baby's moving regularly and they should be moving fairly regularly, particularly after those 28 weeks. We also ask if you've had any other concerning features like pain, bleeding, leaking of water, all of which you shouldn't really have in your uterus. You might have a lot of other symptoms that are very annoying in pregnancy. We also care about those and want to know about those. So back pain, breathlessness, tiredness, 
nausea. Um, nausea <laughs> and vomiting, definitely. And so we want to know about those because there are things that we can try and do to help them. We might not be able to take them away completely, but certainly part of our role is to make the experience easier for you. Reflux is another one of those things yep. that is very common. So do tell us about those things and we'll ask about those things. We also want to know about how you're going emotionally and how you're feeling at home. Are you feeling safe and supported? Because that's really important. And you should feel like your antenatal care provider is someone you can trust to talk about that because it's a really important time. Making sure those things are optimised for you is important for the safety of you and your baby in pregnancy. And we also, in terms of what we do for examination, we would check your blood pressure and we have a feel of your abdomen to see where the baby is lying, whether it's head down, bum down, sideways, <laughs> diagonal. And we do a rough measure of how big we think your tummy is. And that's a very crude measurement, but one of the first markers we have to make us think, well, maybe this baby is measuring a bit small or a bit big compared to what number of weeks you are. And we would roughly expect that that measurement is conveniently the same number of weeks as the length. from Which I always find hilarious. Hilarious, yeah. <laughs> so, for example, if you're 28 weeks, we would expect that measurement to be roughly 28 centimetres. And if it's smaller or bigger, we might organise an ultrasound scan at some point, an extra one, to check for the size of the baby, giving yeah. us a bit of a better indication. In terms of why we do those things and why we ask about those things, We're trying to detect and prevent important things that could impact mum and bub, basically. So some of the things that we touched on before that we might detect in the pregnancy affecting mum would be diabetes, gestational diabetes, high blood pressure or preeclampsia, which we've got a whole other episode on. And that's why we check your blood pressure. We might also get you to pee on a stick. (laughs) which is, of course, not to detect if you're pregnant because we already (laughs) know that, but it's to detect the protein in your urine, which might make us suspect preeclampsia, or sugar in your urine, which might make us suspect diabetes. Most of the time you don't need to do that every single visit. Maybe you might if there's extra risk factors, but we do do it regularly in your antenatal care. And when we're examining your tummy and doing those measurements, as I mentioned, we're trying to detect if your baby might be too big or too small, which obviously impacts the safety of your baby going forward, how happy your baby might be in labour, but also how we might think about and when we might think about delivering your baby. So fetal growth is something that we're trying to estimate as you go on in pregnancy as well. One of the last things we do is listen to the baby's heart rate. Oh, yes. Which, of course, is one of the best parts of the antenatal visit because it's really exciting to hear baby's heartbeat and often you don't get to hear it unless you're in an ultrasound or having um, a monitor for other reasons. But we check that it's within the normal range and that it's regular and, of course, that it's there and that gives us a lot of reassurance about how your baby's going. So one of the questions I do get rangy is when we do a fetal heart, we often just use a Doppler to Mm. listen to the baby's heart rate. And a lot of women were, I guess, expecting to have like an ultrasound yes, rather than just listening to the fetal heart. Can you explain a little bit about why we're listening to the fetal heart and why we don't necessarily need to be using the ultrasound for that? Yeah. So that's a really great point, Ellie. And we've got a whole 
another episode on fetal monitoring and the importance of that in pregnancy with Dr. Fiona Brownfoot. But on examining the woman's tummy, we can usually tell where the baby's heartbeat might be. So, you know, where to put the Doppler to detect that heart rate. Sometimes if the baby is small, so perhaps less than 20 weeks, it might be a bit more difficult because that baby's smaller and very mobile and turning around all over the place every second. So it's like chasing a a little mouse around the tummy. So we might need to use an ultrasound on those occasions. But after that, we don't usually need to use an ultrasound because we're really just looking at the heart rate. If we want to look at more in-depth things like estimating the size of the baby, looking at the fluid around the baby or checking the blood flow from the placenta to the baby, we might organise a formal ultrasound where they spend a significantly greater amount of time looking at those things in detail Yes, so that we're doing it properly. Sure. But with the fetal heart rate with the Doppler, we can get the information that we need as clinicians to be able to make... To kind of triage. Yes, exactly. Really. To, if we're concerned... To know that everything is normal, that's we're right. happy with this, we get enough reassurance from that. Yeah. And if we're concerned about the fetal heart rate for any reason, we might organise some further monitoring in what we call a CTG or a cardiotocograph, yes. which is a longer time of detecting the heart rate with a monitor of the baby. Sure. So that has outlined all of the investigations or what happens clinically in an antenatal appointment. But the other important things that we do is an emotional and psychological assessment, kind of just to make sure that you're going okay, that Mm. you feel safe, as you mentioned, that you're not experiencing. The main things that we're looking for is any signs or symptoms of perinatal anxiety or depression, because Mm. we can actually provide you support or link you in with somebody who can provide support for that. We're also looking at nutritional guidance, so things that we ask you to avoid during pregnancy, as well as ensuring that you have a good diet and exercise during pregnancy for the health of you and your baby. Mm. And the other things that we start thinking about during those antenatal visits is if you have any birth plans or preferences that you want to have during your birth. And also early signs of labour so you know when to present to hospital. Yes. And what that process is once you arrive and how the labour and birth play out. Mm, Definitely. So I guess we should talk about benefits of antenatal care. So we get women to come in. They probably feel like we they come in for their quick appointment. They wait three hours, come in for a 10-minute appointment. We chuck the blood pressure cuff on, we check their fetal heart and then say, okay, everything's fine. But we are actually doing a lot in that window and there's a lot of things that happen in the background that we're deciding on or investigations that we've done. Thinking about... But yeah. I guess the benefits of antenatal care, why why do we offer antenatal care? Yeah, that's a really great question and actually something that has been researched a lot in around the world in both high-income settings and low-income settings. And there's clear research that tells us that antenatal care, good antenatal care from trained providers that starts early and is regular actually improves outcomes for mums and babies. So make sure that more babies are delivered safely and more mums go home safely. Yes. And we're so lucky in Australia. 
we actually have pretty amazing antenatal care. We do. Often we can see things in the media or that say that there's room for improvement, definitely, but we're very lucky that we have great antenatal care that's really evidence-based mm. and we have an amazing college that actually provide guidelines for what is optimal antenatal care. Yeah, definitely. I think there are definitely areas of improvement and that's something that we're all working towards. I think education is one of those things and that's why we're so passionate about this podcast, of course. But antenatal education is a huge area of of need, really. As we were saying, particularly in the public system, there's lack of time, lack of resources, so people might not have as much information as they need to feel safe and empowered in their decision-making. And that's a huge pillar of what we believe is important in the pregnancy and birth and particularly why we're doing this podcast, of course. But yeah, we really feel strongly that that shared decision-making is important, both in your pregnancy and birth and postpartum, and that education and quality antenatal care is, is key in that. Yes. And I'm really looking forward to getting further into this podcast series because one of the areas that I feel that there's a lack of is really in that postnatal period. As so well. much of a gap in that area. Yeah. And yeah. not only for women looking after their babies, but support for partners as well. Definitely. I think that that fourth trimester, which there's only really been a lot of research that's come out relatively recently, Very recently yeah. that talks about the importance of that fourth trimester, recovery from birth. And the transition to being a mother or a parent. Mm. So I think that we're going to be covering so many amazing things that will support you in that fourth trimester because we see professionals in the hospital system throughout the whole time you're pregnant. You're really well supported during pregnancy and birth. And then we send you home. <laughs> and say, good luck. Good luck. <laughs> Bye. Now you've just got to keep this baby alive. There's no license that you need to have this baby, but now they're it's your the responsibility. It's the most important job in the world. Yeah. <laughs> see ya. So I think that's what I'm most excited about is really delving into that fourth trimester. And there are amazing supports out there. there yeah, are, there are. And I'm looking forward to having some amazing guests on for yes, that episode. Yes, because you can have midwives that are specialists in fourth trimester or doulas to help give you support in the fourth trimester. Yeah. So I think there's a huge gap there. So thank you so much, Rangi. I think that gave a really good wrap up of what antenatal care is, what we do and why it's important. Mm. And I'm so excited to have everybody back for our next episode. Yeah, which is talking about models of care, which is really a continuation of what we've just been talking about, how you can get that antenatal care. Yes. All right, see you then. Thanks, Ellie. Thanks, everyone, for joining in. Everyone's pregnancy is unique. The information provided in this podcast is for educational and general purposes only. It is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice. It is important that you always seek the guidance of your doctor or other qualified health professional with any questions you may have regarding your health, your pregnancy or any medical conditions.